Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's a small bit of a needle there. Come on, Mayo, you've got to get Andy Moran into the game. Listen back to Eden, and now they're really roaring. And I can tell you, tell you, that there won't be a cold milk and declare for at least a week. When we left you on Christmas week, Dublin had just been crowned All-Ireland Football Champions in an empty Croke Park. The country was lurching towards another COVID lockdown and it was already becoming clear that no football would be played for a long time. Here we are in the week after Easter and there hasn't even been a legal training session yet, let alone a match. Here's a promise though, this podcast will not be about when teams will play again or about what the format of the league or the championship will be. We're going to talk about football. So hello everybody. You're very welcome to the Irish Examiner Gaelic Football Show. My name is Paul Rouse and I'm joined by the former Armagh footballer, Oisín McConville, and by Eamon Fitzmaurice, one of a very select group of men to win All-Ireland's Senior Football Championships as a player and as a manager. There's no football, but there is a football story. Oisín, what did you think when you saw the story of Dublin training last week in, Ush- in Inish Fales GA Club? I was hoping it wouldn't come to me first. Because I was going to, hoping to get a feel for what was going on in the room before uh, I would get a chance to speak. But uh, I've been, I suppose, uh, already on the record about this in that uh, people are obsessed by the optics and how this looks. And uh, I'd be more interested in the substance behind it and why Dublin would take uh, the risk of going out uh, and training. And I think there's a couple of things about this that... Uh, pertinent before we, uh, I think Dublin were wrong and they they deserve to be punished because they broke the rules. <clears throat> but I would like to take it back to the fact that uh, our elite athletes at inter-county level um, were elite athletes five months ago and they're, and they're not anymore. Um, I would have an issue with that um, and I would have an issue with the way that that was communicated. I would also have an issue with the fact that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, all teams should be back on the pitch. So from juveniles right up to uh, to inter-county players. Um, I'm not going to get into COVID. I'm not going to get into the science or anything else because it can make myself uh, very quickly look very stupid. But um, my, uh, I, I don't think that, you know, when I hear people talk about shock, horror, disappointment, like, I don't know what it was like for you guys, but when I was in trouble at home, which was quite often when I was young, the one thing I hated to hear was, um, I'm disappointed in you. I'd rather get a covering, like a good passion, rather than somebody tell me that uh, they were disappointed in me. And I suppose <clears throat> um, uh, I was never in doubt that this was going on uh, behind the scenes. Nine lads on a football pitch in Dublin, kicking a ball around. When I think of the things that they have been deprived of, 
when that particular age group have been deprived of. And I want you guys, before you, you come back at me, because I know you are, before you come back at me, think about what you were like between the ages of 18 and 28, how you would like to be cooped up. Most of these guys getting yeah, college whipped from under their feet, uh, no social life, uh, a lot of them walking from home, no social interaction. And, uh, and for me, when people talk about the vulnerable in society, uh, I think of I think of the kids and I think of these gays, uh, young adults who are suffering as much as, as anybody else. So that's my take on it. Obviously, as I said, they were caught and 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 I'm sure punish will, punishment will be meted out. Very cute of the Dublin County Board to get out in front of this and 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 ban Desi Far. But uh, for me. Uh, these guys should have been allowed to train anywhere, and we've just created a rod for our own back by by not not let, allowing them to do that. So that's my take, right? You can come back at me now, Amen. Yeah, no, look, I'd I'd agree a lot with what Austin had to say there, but I think they're two separate arguments. I just think that the you know, undoubtedly the the challenges around um, COVID and everyone being cooped up. You know, there there is a valid point in in that, but I think every branch of society have their own challenges at the moment, and everyone can make their own arguments as to why they they could uh, bend the rules or make up their own rules. I just felt from the Dublin story there was two two things that I took out of it. The first thing was that I felt from their own perspective it was unnecessary. Uh, I don't think that a team that are after winning six All Irelands in a row need to be getting together. Uh, late March, early April for 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 uh, the upcoming season. I presume that they've been doing um, a lot of individual S and C work, fitness work, all that kind of stuff to be ready for the pitch when they get there. And it'll be a matter of getting their football up and running and getting that back up to the levels of sharpness that they'll need it at. Um, I thought it was arrogant of them to just go off and have a session like that, particularly when. Uh, you know, the new president uh, and the director general had come out with a statement the, the night before about that we had to adhere to the rules. Uh, because, believe it or not, Oshin, I do think a lot of counties are adhering to the rules and are, uh, you know, not doing the, 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 the collective sessions. And I know Kerry aren't, for example. Um, and, you know, I just think that when you're doing the thing right, then you almost feel like a bit of a fool. You're looking around and you're saying, geez, the best team in the country are getting a jump on us. And to use your word, I do think it's this, and I think it's disappointing, not only from the Dublin perspective, I think that all inter-county teams have a responsibility to lead by example. And, um, you know, not, not to be trying to cut corners. It's one thing cutting corners when it's GA rules. I don't like that anyway. But when it's, you know, when it's around the COVID situation, when there are so many people have been affected in so many ways and are so frustrated by it, I think this, um, uh, I just think it was a bad call. I think in terms of it, and you, you, you mentioned it as well, Oshin, I think the Dublin County Board were clever. They were well advised. They came out. They didn't say much. They said enough. They banned the fire. Uh, and the response has been muted enough in the meantime. For, for, for what is a huge story. And I think when you look at some of the other, you know, the Cork story in particular, I think when that broke last January, I think there was much more of a furore around that. 
I think when you look at other things that have happened during the COVID situation, like Golfgate and things like this, there was much more of a furore around us. And uh, they have been clever in basically trying to bury it. Um, but for me, there remains two outstanding questions. And that is, number one, uh, were there other were, were there other groups training around the capital that morning? I'm I'm I'd be surprised if it was just nine players that are all living fairly close to Nishvales that were training. Um, and number two, then, uh, is there going to be you know more of a response from the GA? Are they happy with the response? Uh, and how long has it been going on for? Because if this is something that you know that has been going on for a month or six weeks beforehand, I think it's an even more serious situation than if it was just the first morning of it and they happened to be caught with their pants down the first morning. Well, that's a different situation then. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with bits of, or a lot of what both of you are saying. I take your point, Oshin. I think, I think people should have been in the field training and I think it should have been facilitated. I do believe that it's exceptionally difficult at the moment for people in their 20s and I understand the drive of inter-county players but I will say straight out when I saw the story I was absolutely raging I was just raging about it because if you're involved in a team in a Dublin GAA club at the moment you are repeatedly receiving reminders by email that the res of the restrictions that are there that club facilities are closed and that we are not to organise training indeed a message was posted on the Dublin GAA um, site the day before that to remind us of all of those things and then the Dublin senior footballers were um engaged in a training session and I understand why Dublin fans are defending the team and the players and I am not trying to understand why they try to dismiss any criticism of this as hysteria and that it's just a whinge and kind of a bitter boggers. I think that's the nature of, of loyalties and I do also believe by the way that all across the country there are club and county players who are meeting up in threes and fours doing their running, kicking a ball around and doing stuff like that but this was different and it had all the appearance of an organized training session i believe that it was a pod it looked to me like a training pod i think it, it does matter if there were training everywhere and it's not just a couple of lads kicking a ball around we can't describe it as this we've been told for a long time how brilliant the dublin training sessions are and are we now supposed to describe these as just lads kicking the ball around and if it doesn't give a team an advantage to train collectively, then why would you do it at all? And I do think there are serious questions for Dublin County Board. And the answer isn't an easy one here for them, because if we are to believe that nobody in the County Board knew this was happening, well, what does that say about how the board is actually run in in, in its own way? And where there, are there employees of the County Board involved in the training of that team in any aspect? Did they know what was going on? Are they party to, to, to all of this? And I thought the statement issued by Dublin County Board was really interesting. It was so short, so it said, following an investigation this afternoon. So that's how long it took to work out what was going on. But what, what exactly was it that they found out? They said it was a breach of COVID-19 guidelines. Well, it was also a breach of the rules of the GEA, not just COVID-19 guidelines. They say it's COVID-19 guidelines. I say it was a breach of the rules of the GEA. And they refer to a serious... Um, and I think it does matter how long they've been training. And I was very taken by the words of Paul Curran, the Dublin former Dublin footballer, who said it was hard to believe, to use his phrase, that it was a once-off. And again, I'm not interested in players getting suspended. I don't care what bans are in place. But I would like a good look in the report at what exactly was happening. I think that matters. 
again, not interested in suspensions or, or, or whatever, but I do think it does need to, to come out. Would you be, what would you be doing if you were training Kerry at the moment, Eamon, what would you be doing? What would you be doing with the players? I think my attitude at the moment would be that you'd be, and, and it is like O'Sheen said, the natural instinct is to be out in the pitch. But I think taking into mind the situation we're in, I'd be trying to make sure that everyone was absolutely peak physical condition when, 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 when the green light was given. So that when you got back training, your sole focus was football, getting the cohesion back in your play, getting the spirit built up, getting ready for a series of matches again. And I think as a group, if you're coming back and you're completely physically ready, that's, that's job done. That's job done. You have a pre-season of work done. You're ready to go, looking forward to football and your sessions are totally around football and football based. And, the, you know, the, the, the SNC gang and are in the background monitoring the fitness levels to make sure that everything's okay. And that's it. I think that's, that would be my focus at the moment. I think also as, as onerous as it probably would be, you could be doing some zoom meetings. If you had ideas about different things that you were going to try in the pitch this year, you could have a few clips of video that you'd share with the lads and you'd have discussions around and you'd have all that kind of background work done and be ready to go. Then that, I think that's the way I would be approaching it. Um, you'd be encouraging the lads, of course, to keep up their skills. Uh, they'd be doing that on an individual basis or if there was a couple of them living together for college purposes or work purposes or whatever. Um, and and that would be the size of it. And then once, like I said, once you got the green light, you'd be ready to go. And it'll be an exciting place to be, to be uh, have everyone actually coming in in peak physical condition and just going then and going at the football. Oshin, do you think it will affect Dublin that Desi Farrell has been suspended for by their own county board for twelve weeks? Yeah, I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll affect them. I think uh, the more stick you two boys give them, I think the more they'll use that as as time goes on. They'll take it out when it's when it's most needed. I think that um, uh, they won't be perturbed actually with what's happening on the pitch because um, there'll still be that level of communication from the sideline. Desi Farrell is not one of these people who gets particularly animated on the sideline or anything like that so I think from from the practical side of it I don't I don't think so and probably when it matters he'll be he will be back in the sideline but I think can we talk about that practical thing for a second please and what, what exactly does a manager do well a manager has to be across everything that's happening on the sideline and uh he has to trust the people he's with him so I think the biggest job for a manager whenever you get a job is is to look around you and see the people you have around you and trust the people that you have around you. Um, I think the the for me, I thought the runner was a very important uh, part of what was going on in GA because, like, I I can I can go up the road and I, I can or manage my club team and and uh, I, it's very easy to get a message across, but as the competition ramps up, as the crowds get bigger. That message I found through my manager career and one major regret I would have, we played in an All-Ireland club semi-final against uh, Castle Bar. And one of the major regrets I would have is that we didn't have somebody in the stand um, because we'd never had anybody in the stand. So we just said we'd continue what we had. And uh, and we went to Castle, we went to Cavan to play Castle Bar. It was a, for a club match. There was a huge crowd there, uh, and we sort of got caught up. I thought we 
we as ma- a management team got caught up in what was happening on the pitch. Uh, we ended up losing the game, and I think had I had somebody in the stand, then they would have been able to recognise a few things. So I think the people around you uh, are very, very important to you. Um, and then as a manager, uh, you have to realise what your uh, strengths are. Okay, and and I think if your strength is to call the, the changes, I think yeah, that's probably something that Eamon uh, maybe liked to do himself was, you know, uh, call those uh, changes maybe himself. But I would like, I like somebody around me who uh, is able to detach themselves a little bit from the uh, giving out to the referee, having to go to uh, linesman, fighting with the opposition, so somebody who's devo- who's devoid from that, somebody who has a very very cool head in that situation, and that's the people I w- I you know in your management team, I think it's important to have one person like that, so that whenever uh, you know the white heat of battle, that you uh, you're able to have somebody there who has a cool who is cool calm and collected and, and have that head. But it, your your biggest job as a manager, I think, is to is to uh, put all those people in place before you actually uh, need them. If you know what I mean. So, so training starts again, <clears throat> most likely. The manager of the team will not be able to go to training sessions now. He will not be able to go to matches when they start, and he can't go to team meetings. So he will devolve responsibility, <clears throat> responsibility essentially already. So he, the manager's job then is to pull everything together. Is that basically it? And he will he will still be able to do that, though just not be present at the... At the at the events themselves. Is that right, Eamon? Yeah, it'll be, look, I think um, for, for Desi Farrell, it'll be a blow personally. And, uh, you know, having, uh, he's had a kind of, obviously they won the All-Ireland last year, but from the picture he would have had in his head about what managing Dublin would be, it's been very different from number one, COVID and the restrictions around that and the way that the championships have changed and everything else. So it's going to be a blow for him personally to have to take the step back to be, to be removed, like you said, and like O'Sheen said, he'll still be able to have an influence in the background and I'm sure everything will be going through him. But at the same time, it is going to be a tough 12 weeks for him um, in terms of uh, staying, you know, staying away from the group. And when he comes back in and as he'll find as in any walk of life, the thing is going to tear off without him. It's not going to wait for Desi Farrell. And when he comes back in, trying to find his way in the group again, you know, could be challenging the initial couple of weeks. But look, he's very experienced and I'm sure he'll get on fine. Um, in many ways, he's taken, he's kind of taken one for the team. The the punishment that I would have thought would have been more, um, I don't know, is appropriate, but certainly would hurt the, the group more is that when everyone else is back training, if they weren't allowed back train for a week or two, um, I think that's that that's the that's the thing that would hurt you. Then that if you're trying to get a step in everyone else, well, the way to 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 stop you getting the step then is that you're not allowed back training when everyone else is training. But I'm sure that would I'm not sure how much the top brass would have an appetite for that or how um, how easy it would be to police it anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I, in a way, I feel sorry for Desi Farrell. I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough twelve weeks for him uh, during that suspension. So, Eamon, see when you're making decisions, you know, like that on the lane, especially substitutions. How many people's involved in that? 
Yeah, it's it's definitely a collective thing, um, Oshin. I'd have always had uh, the management group involved in it. Um, I'd have been on the line myself. I'd have had the Mayor Forna down the line and one of the other selectors, um, and then two selectors in the in the stand as well. Then, so they would have been in constant communication. And I agree with you. I think the selectors in the stand are invaluable. And I think in an ideal world, you'd actually have. Um, a selector in the far side to be generally like if you're in Crow Park for example everyone's in the Hogan Sand side of things and sometimes you see something afterwards and you're kind of saying you know if there was someone in the Cusick stand you get a different perspective from that side sometimes um, so yeah we would have whichever one of the management had uh, spotted something we'd all discuss it the lads would have a chat one of them then would bring it to me and say, what do you think? Will we do this? Sometimes you'd say, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it straight away. Other times, hold. Other times you'd say, give me a few minutes to throw that around my head. Um, other times I'd say, I'd come up with something and I'd ask the lads to have a think about it. And generally that was the way it worked, of course. There was plenty of times we missed things and we'd be watching it back afterwards and we'd be saying, how didn't we see that? Or how didn't we spot that? And there was other times then where, where it worked well and, it is definitely one of the satisfying parts of management that if you do make a call in the heat of battle and it turns out that it's a good call, it's a, it's, it can be satisfying afterwards. It's that thing in management, th- that idea of preparation and having plans made in advance, but being able to move them on the day or to do something entirely new on the day. Where does the balance sit between those two things? Yeah, no, I, I think you can absolutely have um, planned a good bit, but you, you have to you have to be loose in your thinking on the day. Then you can't be um, bound by what you've discussed beforehand. We definitely would have discussed, um, you know, we used to call them what-ifs, and we'd have discussed them a lot as a, as a management team, and it would have been a case of what if someone gets a black card early on? What if it's one of the full back line? What if one of the corner back leaks three points in a row off their best corner forward? Um, what if we're not winning breaking ball? You know, that we. what if we can't get a, a grip on their kick out? And sometimes it would be as simple as, well, we'll swap the corner backs. Other times, if we're not winning breaking ball, right, we need to get in and get a message to the players to remind them about their positioning, you know, and we, we would have thought about things like that beforehand, but then during the game, you have to be um, open to what's happening in front of you and to be able to react to that. And that's probably the key if you can get that right. And in fairness to Dublin, and it's one of the things that I thought was a hallmark of Jim Gavin's time in charge, how well they used half time and how often you know, that they did make the right decisions as a collective at halftime and get the get the tide flowing in the other direction for the second half. You know, there was plenty of games where they would have had tough first halves, but they would have always seemed to make the right calls at halftime. And they did it over such a long period of time. You know, it wasn't a coincidence in fairness to them. Paul, I, Paul, I think the, the one you're maybe thinking about is the one I think about a lot. In regards to being pre-planned, is Colin Boyle one with? Yes, uh, that's exactly that's exactly what was in my head. Um, so you can even read your mind now. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Colin Boyle one used to be one that sort of you know some days I was wondering, I'd be wondering how's Colin Boyle still there, 
And and then other days we're going to just the last person who can take off today is Colin Boyle and just at a certain point, you know, I think it was fifty, was it fifty odd minutes? And all of a sudden he was he was gone. I was thinking bull take walking off the pitch. You see him walking off and he's shaking the head and he could not understand you're taking me out of this. Yeah, and I think that's where it comes to be just a bit more uh, loose in what, in what you're thinking during games. Have a certain plan. Like there's always, <clears throat> as far as my uh, limited management experience is concerned, uh, the way I, I work is I would always have one, two, maybe three players. I'm thinking <laughs> I'm going to get them onto the pitch uh, because uh, because I think they can they can make a difference and. You're looking at stuff and you're going, you just be amused sometimes by, you know, maybe things are going well and, and you're thinking, well, how do I get them in? Who do I, am we going to, you know, am I going to change the balance of, of things? But look at the, the war to go. And, and that's a lot of the things where I think my weakness as, a, as, as far as management is concerned is maybe not just being loose enough and just letting things, letting things sit sometimes and not being, uh, forced to change something when things are actually going okay you know have you ever given a fella a run and putting them on because you thought if I don't put him on I'm actually going to have to listen to this for a while <laughs> no but I, I definitely would be I'll definitely be conscious of uh, especially at club level of whether <laughs> if you don't put him on whether you're going to see him on Tuesday or not you know and trying to keep as many people in the loop as you possibly can, and that's that. Look, that's a balancing act. But again, that's probably more. Uh, you're more conscious of that, I think, at club level. I'm not sure if that's the case. You know, as you go up the ranks. You know, so so you you've managed Cross Midland, and now you're now managing Inniskeen Grattans in um, in Monaghan. What was it like the first time you walked into that dressing room in Inniskeen? What were you thinking? Uh, it wasn't too bad because I had I had some of the some of the lads at uh, DKT, um, so uh, I'd known I known I'd known a few of them when I walked in. Uh, it's but at ten minutes from my house, so I I think did you have a meeting? Is, did you have a meeting or did you have a training session? Yeah, no, we had a meet. We had a, I met them uh, probably three weeks before we trained. Before we did anything, because um, because I just felt the need to make sure that everybody was aware of what way things were going to be, and therefore, you know, you either buy in or you don't buy in, and uh, and then from there, just just straight into training. And and look at when you first take a training session with with a, with a lot of lads you don't know, you how am I ever going to know these guys? How am I ever going to know you know names and all that there? But it just in a, in a couple of weeks, it comes to you, you sort of get a sense of the different characters. Uh, unfortunately, look at unfortunately, when I took them over, you know, we were hit by with the COVID thing, so it was a very disjointed season, and 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 that certainly didn't help because again, it doesn't happen when you're trying to get to know lads. But uh, look at you know, you you just have to. It's difficult when you're going into a different club because you have to roll with the punches a little bit more. When I was over cross. I knew I knew these guys inside out since they were since they were small. Played with a lot of them, and I think uh, in a sense it made in one way it made it easier, and then in another way, you know, as I always say, you know, when you go into a club, you're hugely popular for probably the first two three months 
until you name your first team, and then that's when the <laughs> that's when the battles start. Not only with with players and and that, but in your in your own head and your own mind then as well, because because uh, you're hoping that you know those little tweaks and changes that you've made, or a guy who's been playing for ten years and all of a sudden maybe he's not part of that part of the, your sort of plans in your head, and you know that's when the diff- <laughs> that's when the difficulties come. So everything is brilliant when you actually pick a team. So the lads who don't make the 24, they hate you anyway, right? They absolutely hate you. The lads yeah. who are between 15, number 15, and num- or number 16 and number 24 think you haven't a clue how you cannot pick them. Five of the starting team, after a couple of months, you know, they're all they're there, they're hanging on, they're fairly convinced. There are 10 lads probably have bought in. And then there's five who just, and they're wary of you. Is that right? <laughs> Only five. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be pretty much how it goes. I was in most clubs, yeah. And did you do you have rules when you walked into cross? Did you say, "Here's my rules"? Did when you walked into in the skin and say, "Here's my rules"? Uh, no, no, I, I wasn't. I didn't make it a, a dictatorship straight away. I introduced the rules. <laughs> <laughs> So that people, so that people wouldn't really uh, know there were rules or such, just things we needed to follow. But uh, look, at, uh, honestly, uh, footballers are different now. Um, I think there's, there's the, the the work ethic is is there for, I think for the vast majority of them, and any of them that don't have that work ethic are probably happy enough to play seconds or B football or, or reserve football or whatever it is, but. Uh, I think you, the boys know now just how tuned in they need to be and the fitness levels it takes to play at the, even a, even uh, even you know junior intermediate senior level with clubs. Eamon, when you walked into the Kerry dressing room for the first time as manager, how did you feel? Um, I can't remember now, Paul. I felt I felt grand. I felt fine. Um, I'd say we'd a meeting similar to what O'Sheen was saying there. We'd a meeting. We'd a chat about. You know, we'd made some changes from the previous year and some things that we were going to try and do and um, just looking forward to getting getting going, really. I'd probably spoken to a lot of the players individually before that first meeting anyway. And, uh, yeah, I was just looking forward to getting going, really. Did you set down rules? Uh, no, no, I didn't really. No, I didn't. Uh, I think uh, probably like any team you're involved in, there were standards that we expected, all right, but... To be fair, at that level, you know they're 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 pretty much in place anyway. And uh, as the as the year and as the years are going on, maybe there was different th- things we did differently and higher expectations and higher standards and so on. But uh, no, there was there was no need for any rules per se. No. And is this something that you thought you would do? Like when did when did you decide that you would be a manager? Is this something that was in your head through your playing career? No, not at all. Um, I I would have always been involved with school teams from the, the, the day I started teaching. I was always involved in school teams and I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, but no, I never had management in my head at all at all. Um, the only, when it started to come into my head was I got a phone call from Jack O'Connor and whenever, maybe October, November 2008, when he came back um, as manager of Kerry to know if I'd like to be involved as a selector. 
and um, I'd only retired myself during the league at the end of the league in 2007. So that was kind of a question in my head. Would I go back that soon into a dressing room where I knew so many, so many of the lads and was good friends with a lot of them um, to go back in at the other side of the table? And uh, I said, look, if it was going to be a fantastic opportunity for me and I was going to get a great chance to learn um, off Jack at that level, and if it was something that was for me, then I'd have had, uh, you know, a good apprenticeship under my belt. And I could also see maybe it wasn't something that was for me. So I enjoyed those couple of years with Jack and it kind of went from there then. Jack O'Connor in his in his book spoke about how every so often it was important to put a bomb under a team. And I think what he meant by that was that, you know, you drop someone even if they don't absolutely necessarily deserve it, but you you just shake it up. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think it can have a, it's a, it can have its um, impact. All right, but the way I approached it was, I based it purely on farm, and um, you know, training farm came into it, and obviously the farm in the matches, and it didn't matter who you were, or what you had done previously. Um, if you weren't playing at the level that we expected, you weren't going to be picked. And I think it took a while for the, the lads to get used to that because um, there probably was an expectation among some of the lads that they'd play no matter what and that they'd always produce it on the big day. Um, but when they saw that it was a very consistent approach across the board with, with, with all of them, everyone bought into it then in a kind of you know, it's a double-edged sword. It creates a spirit in a group that there's an opportunity there for everyone. But, um, you know, with everyone looking over their shoulder, then sometimes you'd wonder about that as well, if they, if it if it does create a bit of um, an edge that, um, it, that isn't helpful. So it's, it's, it's probably a balancing act. But, uh, yeah, I get what Jack was saying there, and he was a good man to do that every now and again as well. What do you think the biggest mistake he made as manager of Kerry was? Oh, the biggest mistake I made. Um, I, God, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. There's, there, you know, there's things that I would have done differently now if I was back there now. Um, you know, I think as a manager, the things that you think about always are the, the big games that you lost and selection decisions, uh, personnel decisions, that uh, you think back a, a, about them. But I'm always pretty good at putting those things to rest, that you know, you're there in a big day, you're trying to do your best, you make decisions. When they work, everything goes according to plan. When they don't work, you've made the decisions and the best of fate, and you just accept it's part of sport. Um, probably those things, there isn't too much i change about it in terms of the way we approach things or training regimes or, you know, backroom and management teams. There's nothing I change about it really. But, you know, you think about those big games that we lost, particularly very tight games. And you'd, you'd wonder if I had done this or if we had done this, could it have changed the result? And I think the nature of sport is always, it is the decision you didn't make when you lose. It is the player you didn't bring on. It is the player you took off but shouldn't have taken off. And, you know, that's the great what-ifs of sport. Did you do anything as a manager that you thought, before you went in, I'm never going to do that? <laughs> um, uh, did I? 
I don't no, I don't think so. No, I think that I would have had um I would have had, you know, strong beliefs about things that I was going to do and I would have followed through with them. Um not really, Oshin. No, I don't I don't think so. No, because I was just thinking one of the things that I used to frown upon uh, from the sidelines or or in the stand was uh putting somebody on and taking them back off again. And I said, I swore to myself that I'd never don't do that. But I've done it a couple of times since I got into management and still doesn't sit well with me. But, it, you know, you talk about when you go into management, you have your set of principles and you're going to stick to them. Yeah, well, I, I, I always go back to uh, to Manny McLean when he first took over Cavan and he did an interview and he said, listen, we're not into defensive football. We're going to play uh, open, expansive football. Um, and we're gonna we were in Division One at the time, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna play football the way it was meant to play. That lasted for I was in Breffney Park, and it lasted for about twenty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all I all I could see was pandemonium on the sideline. When it came out in the second half, it was literally fifteen <laughs> players the ball just to see could they uh, quell the dubs or keep the dubs at bay. So um, yeah, uh, there's I suppose when it comes to management, there's there's lots. Like, I would have plenty of principles going into it, but sometimes those principles go out the window pretty sharp. Uh, absolutely. And I, 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 was never, I was never too too principled about things like that. But the one thing that I just, as you were talking, similar probably to Matty McLean in there, the one thing that would have taken me a bit by surprise and even the fact that I, I would have been involved as a selector was just the level that management teams are at in Division 1 and, and across the country in all the, in all the divisions in terms of their decision-making, in terms of the way they react during games. You make a change, they make a change, you make a change, they make a change. And I, I think I underestimated that prior to getting involved. But then when you're, when you're on the sideline and you're going toe-to-toe with, with, with the opposing management teams, that you do see that people are at a serious level and uh, you just appreciate it. I think you appreciate it more and it was something that I probably underestimated prior to getting involved in that level myself. I think a great example of planning before a game coming off, even if it didn't or wasn't ultimately successful, is the 2016 semi-final when you went after Stephen Cluxton's kick-out. 2-4 without reply came from it four turnovers in an eight minute spell how did that happen yeah that that was when you talk about um things that you planned beforehand that was one of the most enjoyable um things during my time in charge that we were involved in just um we we just had we we worked constantly on that kick out basically pushing everyone up we kept two backs in place in our side of the field and pushing everyone up, uh, playing two banks to four in the half forward line, the full forward line. We had two of our half back line in the half forward line for those kickouts. We had three big men across the field with Anthony Maher, David Moore, and Kieran Donahue. And we just felt that we'd surprise the 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 dubs with that with that aggressive an approach. Um who came up with the might, idea? Um it was uh, it was hey, hey, hey. um who came up with the idea the idea i i suppose i drove the idea and uh where the initial conversation would have taken place is with uh, a conversation between myself and Kieran Donny 
around um, the way that sometimes teams in Australian rules approach the opposition restart, uh, the opposition kick kick out. And I went away then and I thought thought about it and how you could apply that to um, the Gaelic football context. And it went from there and we just started working on it night after night in training. Uh, We spent 10, 15 minutes at it every single night and it became a huge um, uh, thing within the group of spirit, a, a, a spirit thing, uh, an excitement thing. The players, uh, I know the physios were, used to be saying to me, geez, the lads were in and they were buzzing about this kick out. They were talking about it constantly while they were inside getting their treatment. And if you do this and I'll do that. And it was just a very exciting thing at the time. And we knew that we, we, knew that we were going to get success off it. And uh, when we got the, the Darren O'Sullivan got the goal in particular, you could see it gave the whole team energy. It just went through the whole team because we had tried one earlier in the half that didn't come off. Um, Cluxon went long and Connolly got a flick in us and they, 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 they managed to get the kick out away. So, you know, the players might have been questioning, I wonder now, will we get it? And in fairness, they, they, they nailed it and we got the goal off it. And then, like you said, we had that spell where we kept them pinned in. But again, we might have been better off if it happened just after halftime rather than just before halftime because, they, you know, again, they, they, they came up with solutions. And in the second half, as it happened, we needed a free uh, a shot at the goals to get it set. And I think we only got one free in the second free, half. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they actually got that one over the top to Connolly as well, but they didn't get a score off it. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a brilliant. It was really ex- it was a an, it was an excellent thing from a coaching perspective that this idea came to us. We went away, thought about it, we tweaked it every night at training, and it was ready for the big day. And it worked in the big day, but unfortunately, it didn't. Uh, uh, we we didn't win. Ultimately. It's interesting. It's interesting that you know. Kieran Donaghy's input in that would you take much input from players on either ideas of how you would approach a game how you would target an opposition or who should actually be on your own team not who'd be on my, who should be on my own team but I I would take um, input certainly about more or less everything else but no I wouldn't uh, with regard to um, team selections and squad selections I always felt that was a management job and you know the players had to do the playing um, different maybe at club level where you might have seen your players inputting into your decision making like but no not, not at inter-county level but with regard to everything else absolutely um, if they had ideas around uh, you know a tactical thing like that or uh, around uh, opposition or around particular players in opposition because Oftentimes the players know the opposition so much better. They've played in college with and against them. You know, they've great knowledge of them. And one of the things that we used to, and I always was blown away by the players' knowledge, was when we used to player-led video analysis. And if the players were doing a particular, you know, opposition or a particular aspect of the opposition, the 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 material they used to bring back and in the meetings, it is blow your mind their level of knowledge so huge input with regards to that and you know like I said an initial discussion with Kieran and I go away and think about it and working on it with the management then and we come back with our own version of it then but uh, I think the more people that are feeding into it the better. Oisín what about feedback from players influence of players 
advice from players? Did you try and influence a manager when you were playing? No. Uh, I, I was one of those players who just basically got on with it, just wanted to play. Um, I, very rarely would I have a... Um, ha, would I even have, have a, chat, a proper chat with, with managers unless, unless it was around discipline. Um but uh, yeah, generally speaking, I would I would take whatever on board. But again, it, it depends on the individual that's playing the information, um, and whether you take that on board or not. Um, as far as influence, influence uh, who starts or who's in the squad, uh, just like Eamon said, that I wouldn't be influenced at all, even at club level, on any of that stuff. I mean. I think you're getting into uh, into dodgy ground if you start to you know if you start to be influenced in that way. But as far as ideas go, and again, you know, uh, opposition um, and uh, nuances of different players and stuff. Yeah, I'll definitely take all of that stuff on board. But uh, not as far as squad or team would be concerned. In in every team, there's obviously a huge range of personalities within a team. And particularly at inter-county level, there is a difference in profile of certain players as against others. How do you how do you manage that idea of a star player? Um, I, I I think in general the star players are very easy to manage because they're they're driven. Um, they they bring very high standards themselves. Um, you know. There's times when you star players have to be dropped and left out, and they they mightn't be the happiest about it. But at the same time, um, generally they'll they'll understand why why it's happening. Um, so no, in my experience in general, Paul, they were I, I found guys like that easy enough to manage. And like you said, I think you've a, you've a broad spectrum of people you're dealing with in terms of their personalities, in terms of where they are in their playing career in terms of where they are in their personal lives, in terms of where they are with regard to their college or work and so on. So I think everyone is, you treat everyone as an individual. And again, it's probably part of the, the management side of things that you're trying to, you know, build those relationships and you're trying to uh, treat everyone as that individual and try to help them out off the pitch as much as you can. And it'll help, the, it'll help them and ultimately it'll help you on the pitch as well. There's a little thing I actually do with uh, professional professional teams and I talk about, uh, it's just a little slide I have when I talk about uh, the different characters in the change room. So you have the joker, you have the alpha male, uh, you have uh, a mixture of both, then you have the pro. Uh, so there's lots of different characters, there's lots of different people. In fact, some people can fit into almost all of them sometimes. And then you have the situation where person who thinks they're the alpha but they're not really <laughs> person who wants to be the alpha but will never be the alpha and, the, and then the gay who's who's pretty unassuming about the whole thing but he's basically running the dressing room he doesn't even know it that's the way so uh there's lots of different things and then of course there's the, there's the joker and on the face of it like Eamon talks about you know knowing your players know what's going on in the background knowing if there's any issues and different things you got a lot of time you know, not all the time, but a lot of time there's the, the gay who walks into the change rooms and, you know, is having a laugh and that could, could that might not necessarily be their nature. Uh, I remember uh, 
being on a, on a golf outing with uh, Benny Tierney and his wife, and anybody knows Benny, um, and my wife after about an hour, I think it was probably only the second time she met him, but after an hour she turned to Benny's wife and she said, Jesus, he must be an absolute depression in the house, is he? Because he never shuts his mouth when he's out and she's no worse. He's like this all the time. <laughs> so there is characters like that who just who are just an absolute guy, but it's trying to figure out who's who in the change room and trying to figure out, you know, how you get the, how you make that work for you and get the best out of players as, as a result of that, you know? The only way to do that is time though, isn't it? Yeah. And look, if you're not even allowed into the change rooms at the minute, like I say, I've been in a club and I think we've been in the change room once for that initial meeting and we haven't been in, we haven't been in it since. So that's a, that's a big, piece of the jigsaw that's missing for a lot of teams and when people talk about uh, closing the gap with the dubs uh, that's an essential part of it even lads hanging about and getting a bit of food and different things after training and all those sort of things it's all of those little things especially if you're a new manager you're going, there's a lot of new managers especially in uh, the Galactico um, Division 4 now four, which we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks because it's it's, um, it's the place to be so yeah, so that's suppose that's another piece of the jigsaw that's missing as far as you know getting into change rooms and really getting to know boys' characters. You know, is it more of an issue at a a club team? Have you been in a position with a club team where you have you have to, or you've made a decision basically to indulge somebody because you need them? Uh, I wouldn't say that, but or you've made some... compromises. I will, will put it differently. You've made compromises in your principles to include someone. Uh, if I feel they're meeting me, they're meeting me somewhere along the road. Then yeah, but I have got I have had situations where I thought from afar, looking in and going, they just don't know how to manage that lad. You know, and I'll go in there and I'll, I'll be it'll be different with me. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of months down the lane, it's not that it's not that different. And that's something that, you know, I, I sort of you know, I struggled to get my head around initially. But, um, you know, the guy who people warn you before you go into the club and different things like that, and you go in there and you say, nah, it'll be different under me. Um, it's, not that, it's not that much different. And when you're trying to set up a team, what are you looking for? What are you trying to do? Well, What's the first thing you're trying to do? Well, I think the first thing that I would be trying to do, what I would do is, I would, first of all, have a look at the players that I have and then seeing the system that I was going to implement if, if, if we would have the wherewithal in order to do that. It was pretty simple across. So cross wasn't really that much of a learning curve for me because we wanted to play in a certain way and we probably had the players to play in that certain way. And I actually think, Funny looking across now is something that probably has hurt us because you know people want to see us playing a certain way. They expect us to play a certain way. I don't know if we have the players to play that way anymore. So uh, it probably wasn't that. It was only when maybe I started doing a bit of a college and and then obviously uh, went to uh, different clubs. Have been with Central Town and Meath, and then on to on to Enniskeen. And the thing about uh, about you know having a way of playing it can be a very general way of playing and then uh, tweak it in order to suit the individuals that they have but uh, not to give away all my secrets but 
try and get the ball to the players that are going to hurt. They're going to hurt the opposition as quickly and as often as you possibly can. And uh, obviously, there's a manager on the other side who doesn't want that to happen, and and is trying to over in some way overpower that. And uh, one thing that I would say happened us last year was <laughs> I thought I was going to th- keep things a bit tighter uh, at the back, and I think in the first half of, of the. Uh, County semi-final, we conceded maybe two a ten or two eleven, you know. So, uh, you know, there's 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 times where you, we where things you find things are, are getting away from you, you know. But uh, it's just to have that, I suppose, to have as general a principle as possible and and not be too rigid with it. Eamon, what what's the thing you look for most? Yeah, I I'd agree with Oshin there, Paul. I think it depends on the players you have and. Um, you know, you're going to have your basic principles that when you're on the ball, you're going to want to play a certain way. You're going to want the accuracy at a certain level. I always like teams to kick the ball when you can. Um, Without the ball, you're going to have the basic principle of working very hard as a collective to try and get the ball back as quickly as possible. But after that, then in terms of the nuances and the real detail of it, it depends on the type of players you have. And to be flexible, um, that, you know, depending on the opposition, depending on the players that you have. The, some days you were saying about indulging players earlier. Sometimes you have to indulge players. You've injuries, you fellas out, you fellas suspended, you're down to the bare bones. Everyone has to play. And the, the fella you mightn't be, he, you mightn't be on his Christmas card list. Suddenly he's the most important player uh, on, on the field for a given day. So uh, you have to try and... Um, come around him then and convince him that he is that important and the, to, to play for for the, the jersey and to play for you. So, you know, it's all, I suppose, it's all um, it's all dependent on that flexibility then and, and depending on working on what you're dealt with on a particular day. Before, uh, before we finish, can I ask you, do you wish you were still playing? I do. So, Easter Saturday... It was it was such a beautiful day, Easter Saturday. It was lovely and warm. There was kind of that smell of cut grass around the place. The ground's firming up, and there's a ball on the lawn, and you know there's a bit of Christmas in the grass. Do you think of going back? Have you got have you used lock? Have you got yourself in shape to go back? <laughs> um shape to go back now and wanting to go back are two different things uh, yeah so, no, how, so how, old no, you, how, old, how old are you now i'm 43 so you could still play club football uh, i could but nah i no i i i'd, I'd love the idea of us uh, paul i'd love the idea of going back and playing absolutely but no i'd be too frustrated with what I couldn't do. And I think secondly, I, I just think the body, I was very lucky with injuries all through my career and uh, I've no huge ailments or issues now. And I think if I went back, I'd be breaking down and I'd have injuries and I just have no patience for that. So when the smell of cut grass and the uh, crisp and the ball is lying there and the romantic notion comes into your thing, I think about, 20 seconds later it's gone out the other side and <laughs> I just have to say no no but yeah I lo- I do love the idea of us and it would be it would be nice to go back and play and if the body if I felt the body wouldn't be breaking down I'd love us but no Oshin uh, I would have felt at the time that I stopped playing that I could have probably played another year or two but I was 38 and 
Um, could I play it today? No, because I go, I kick kick the ball about for a couple of hours with the boys and on Friday and Saturday and oh, aches and pains. And then I went for, I went we went to bike yesterday for an hour and honestly couldn't walk last night. I had a had a literally roll off the sofa in order to get up stairs. But uh, I would have I would have I would have finished my career with a few different ailments and uh, and. They haven't been too bad, but I know as soon as I go back in the pitch, I probably could get away with playing one game, and then, and then no, it would all it would all end very very badly for me. <laughs> but you're forty eight or nine now, is that is that right? Ouch! You can see, but you can see by my long my long flowing locks that I'm still only I'm forty five now, forty six this year. I know I don't lock it, especially about a haircut. And there's nothing left in the tank. You're, there's no way. There's, there's, there's no. You won't stand in nothing. How are your skills when you're kicking yeah, around the lads? How are they holding up? Yeah, the skills are still different gravy, like but. Uh, <laughs> no, you love it. <laughs> your you kids going to be cornerbacks, are they? You don't, you don't lose any. Of, you don't lose any of that. You don't lose any of that stuff. I suppose one thing I used to do with. Uh, with some of the lads when I arrived at training was, and not to be recommended, but we, if we were kicking about, we were trying to kick the ball over from the sideline. I, I just noticed that, you know, initially it was grand and then all of a sudden just gets a little bit shorter and a little bit shorter and a little bit shorter. And now you're just going to run in on the square for Big Donaghy, really. That's, as much, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the best you can hope for, you know. Yeah. Play, play the crossbar challenge with them now, Oisin. It's a bit yeah. heavier. Yeah, too much. <laughs> I I refuse to kick anything except a size four football now. It's, it's, there's no point in going with the big one. Um, I I want to finish up by thanking Larry for running the podcast and to Tony and everyone at the Examiner for making it happen. Huge thanks to Eamon and to Ushin, uh for coming along today. So happy Easter to everyone, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Remember that, that small bit of a needle there. Now, come on, Mayo, you've got to get Andy Moran into the game. Listen back to Eden, and now they're really roaring. And I can tell you, tell you, that there won't be a cloud milk and cloud for at least a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 